Hello all, the Midnight Cowboy episode is still coming, I promise. We've had many scheduling delays, but we should be recording the episode this Thursday, September 30th, and the episode should drop shortly thereafterwards. In the meantime, to provide you with some content, please enjoy this special feature, 31 Essential Films to Watch This Halloween. It is a video I put up on my YouTube channel, which you can find at youtube.com slash C slash Adolfo J. Acosta. That's A-D-O-L-F-O-J-A-C-O-S-T-A. I post some of the podcast episodes there, plus do reaction videos to current movies and other special video features and essays. So check it out. Again, Midnight Cowboy is coming soon. In the meantime, enjoy the following program. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Good evening. Hello all, this is Adolfo Costa, and welcome back to my channel. Being that fall is my favorite time of year, and Halloween is one of my favorite holidays, we'll be doing something a little fun today. 31 essential films you should watch this Halloween season. Now, for the record, this isn't a countdown. There is no rhyme or reason to the order of the films. Also, not all of them are horror movies, though a lot of them are. Some of them are comedies, some of them are children's films, all of them, I feel, are essential uh, to define that Halloween season. So, some of you who read my blog at theessentialfilmspodcast.com may recognize a lot of these entries. But, that said, without further ado, here we go. 31 essential films you should watch this Halloween season. And we're going to kick things off with what many people consider to be the greatest slasher movie of all time, the movie that defined the slasher genre, Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 Psycho. The principal cast includes Anthony Perkins, Vera Miles, John Gavin, Martin Balsam, John McIntyre, and Janet Lee. The genre, slasher and serial killer. The tagline for this film was, The picture you must see from the beginning, or not at all, for no one will be seated after the start of Alfred Hitchcock's greatest shocker, Psycho. Marion Crane steals $40,000 from her employer and drives as far as she can to evade capture, eventually stopping at a small motel off the highway. At this motel, she meets Norman Bates, who runs the place. Norman is a socially awkward young man who seems unhealthily attached to his domineering mother. Later that evening, Marion enters a shower, and the film history is changed forever. Everything you have read, seen, or heard about this film is probably true. Unfortunately, the twist ending has been parodied to death, no pun intended, and it, along with its iconic score, is part of the American pop culture landscape. However, if you have never seen Psycho, then you owe yourself a good scare. One of the reasons this film is so scary is that the scares are earned by a well-crafted screenplay. Instead of using the tired conventions of modern horror films, where something jumps out at the audience, the screenplay builds its characters, their motivation, and their actions so well that when the scare comes, it's natural and organic instead of contrived. What is quite genius about Stefano's script, which was based on a novel by Robert Bloch, is that one of the main characters has what appears to be a petty motivation at the beginning of the film. However, without entering into spoiler territory, Hitchcock completely manipulates your expectations, and as Act 1 ends and Act 2 begins, you are completely caught off guard as to what to expect in the film. It's at this point that the Norman Bates character becomes the main crux of the story. His motivation and character development are so fascinating that it dwarfs the rest of the plot and characters. The mystery surrounding what is truly going on at the Bates Motel is one of the most well-written in cinema history. You spook easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. The Silence of the Lambs. Released in 1991, directed by Jonathan Demme. Screenplay by Ted Talley, based on The Silence of the Lambs by Thomas Harris, Principal cast, Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, Scott Glenn, and Ted Levine. Genre, serial killer. Its tagline, 
To enter the mind of a killer, she must challenge the mind of a madman. Now this may be the greatest serial killer movie of all time. The film has everything. Scares, check. A great villain, actually two great villains, double check. A sympathetic hero, check. A phenomenal story, check. The Silence of the Lambs is so good, it was the first and so far only horror movie to ever win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Three others have been nominated, The Exorcist, Jaws, and The Sixth Sense. I'm not sure how many people consider The Shape of Water a horror film, but, you know, if you want to count it as that, then you can disregard that last sentence. Anyway, not just that, but it's a grand slam with awards for director, actress for Foster, actor for Hopkins, and screenplay. Foster stars as Clarice Starling a fledgling FBI agent on the trail of a serial killer known as Buffalo Bill. She thinks she can get some information from his former confidant, psychiatrist-slash-cannibal Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Lecter spends his sessions with Clarice analyzing her and playing a chess game of wills. Meanwhile, the clock ticks away on if the feds will ever catch up with Bill. Is he trying to help Clarice, or does he just enjoy toying with her psyche? Because he is such a fascinating villain, Hannibal Lecter has been portrayed on camera multiple times. Manhunter in 1986, Hannibal in 2001, Red Dragon in 2002, Hannibal Rising in 2007, and the Hannibal TV series. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Alien, 1979, directed by Ridley Scott. Principal cast, Tom Skerritt, Sigourney Weaver, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm, and Yafet Koto. Genre, aliens, monster movie. In space, no one can hear you scream. What Ridley Scott accomplished with Alien was to blend science fiction and horror in a way no one had ever done before. Today, this film continues to be one of the scariest horror films of all time, as well as being fantastic science fiction epic. Not only did it win an Oscar for Best Visual Effects, it is also currently in the National Film Registry in the Library of Congress and has appeared in various American Film Institute countdown lists. This film proves that genre films can also be as engaging, provocative, and influential as the heaviest dramas. Originally called Star Beast, before it went to production, the film follows a team of space miners who respond to an SOS signal right before they are about to head home after a long several months on the job. When they go to investigate the seemingly deserted planet, an alien life form attacks and attaches itself to one of the crew's face, putting him in a comatose state. The alien is eventually separated from Kane's John Hurt's face, but not before laying eggs in his belly. In what has to be one of the most disturbing scenes in film history, an alien bursts out of Kane's chest and quickly grows to monstrous size as it picks off the crew one by one. Alien spawned a quadrilogy of sequels, Aliens, Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection, spin-offs Alien vs. Predator, and most recently, a prequel series in Prometheus and Alien Covenant. In space, no one can hear you scream. Pan's Labyrinth, 2006, Guillermo del Toro. Cast, Sergi Lopez, Maribel Verdu, Ivana Baquero, Doug Jones, Ariadna Gill, and Alex Angelo. Genre, supernatural, dark fantasy. Innocence has a power evil cannot imagine. More dark fairy tale than pure horror, the Spanish film still delivers plenty of scares. It is set in, and also a metaphor for, fascist Spain and is the story of the quiet and bookish Ophelia who moves in with her new stepfather in the countryside, the sadistic Captain Vidal. In an effort to distance herself from his cruelty, she escapes into her own imagination where she meets mythical creatures and dangerous beasts. But it's all in her head. Or is it? 
One of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful films on the list with a gorgeous visual design, the film won three Academy Awards for cinematography, art direction, and makeup. It was also nominated for Best Writing, Best Music, and Foreign Language Feature Film. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. Frankenstein, 1931, James Whale. Cast, Colin Clive, Mae Clark, John Bowles, and of course, Boris Karloff. Genre, monsters, mad scientist. The man who made a monster. The most well-known adaptation of Mary Shelley's immortal work, this 1931 classic still to this day remains the best adaptation of Mary Shelley's classic tale. Dr. Henry Frankenstein is obsessed with death. He believes he can give life to dead flesh and creates a man to prove this theory. He creates a man by sewing together body parts from various corpses. Instead of a man, he gives birth to a monster. Unfortunately, the creature's abnormal brain causes him to break free and escape his creator as the film then focuses on the monster's attempt to find its humanity. One of the first books and films to really start blending genres, Will, though through Shelley's work, used elements of science fiction and horror to create the monster, and his birth scene is still one of the most memorable in film history. Frankenstein was responsible for the imagery modern audiences associate with the monster, tall, flat top, bolts in the neck. The movie was a huge success and is almost synonymous with Universal, which sequelized and spun off the monster in various films. The Bride of Frankenstein in 1935, Son of Frankenstein in 1939, The Ghost of Frankenstein in 1942, House of Frankenstein in 1944, and Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein in 1948. Not to mention all other interpretations of the character who followed in Universal's footsteps, like Hammer Horror's Curse of Frankenstein in 1957 and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein in 1994. But the original remains the go-to class. For a deeper analysis of Frankenstein, Check out episode number 35 of the Essential Films podcast. <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein, 1935, James Whale. Its principal cast, Boris Karloff, Elsa Lanchester, Colin Clive, Douglas Walton, Reginald Berlow, Mary Gordon, and Ernst Theisberg. Genre, monster movie, comedy. A bride for the monster comes to life in a scientist's laboratory. The insane Dr. Pretorius convinces Dr. Frankenstein to build another creature, this time a female mate as a companion to his first tragic monster. The original Universal Frankenstein film left out many details of the book, including the section in which the monster demands the mate, which is fully fleshed out as an entire film here. Much different than the source material, much different than the source material, however, as there is no Dr. Pretorius in the novel that blackmails Dr. Frankenstein into creating a new monster. The film definitely takes a sillier and campier tone when Pretorius appears on screen as Ernst Thesiger chews scenery until there's nothing left. Still, the final reveal of the monster's mate at the end of the film is worth the journey after a thoroughly enjoyable film. There is a fictionalized behind-the-scenes retelling of Bride of Frankenstein in the 1998 film Gods and Monsters in which Ian McKellen plays director James Whale in the last days of his life. There is a creature alive today has survived millions of years of evolution. Jaws, 1975, Steven Spielberg. Screenplay by Peter Benchley, Carl Gottlieb, based on Jaws by Peter Benchley. Its cast includes Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfuss, Robert Shaw, Lorraine Gary, and Murray Hamilton. Genre, monster movie, Nature Goes Wrong. It's as if God created the devil 
and gave him Jaws. Amity Island is a small vacation community that sees a surge in tourism during the summer beach season. The new sheriff in town, Martin Brody, discovers the remains of a shark attack victim washed up on shore. Brody's request to close the beach until the shark has been caught is denied by the mayor, who is concerned about the impact it will have to the tourism business. After another victim is claimed by the rogue shark, this time a young boy in front of a crowded beach of tourists, the angry townspeople calls on the government to act. The young boy's mother even puts a bounty on the shark, which brings all sorts of fishermen out of the woodwork, or out of the water, if you will. A local fisherman named Quint offers to kill the shark for a large fee, and Brody, believing Quint to be the most qualified, soon joins the effort, despite the fact that he's terrified of the water. They are joined by oceanographer Matt Hooper, and the trio embark on an adventure to capture and kill the great white predator. Jaws had a lasting legacy in the changing of the business. The wide-release, massive marketing model was soon adopted by Hollywood as the new way to conduct business. Hollywood still works the same way to this very day. It also established the idea of the summer blockbuster, where studios would release all of their anticipated big moneymakers in the summer, when audiences were more primed to go to the movies. While other films like Gone with the Wind and The Sound of Music were massive box office hits before, Jaws created an entire season for it. Spielberg would go on to helm some of the greatest and essential films of the last 40 years, including Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, A Private Ryan, Minority Report, and Lincoln. Jaws and Spielberg's influence on cinema is incalculable, so don't be afraid to go back in the water and watch this essential classic. For a deeper dive, no pun intended, on Jaws, check out the Essential Films Podcast, Episode 7. Les Diaboliques, 1955, Henri-Georges Clouseau. Principal cast, Simone Seigneuret, Vera Clouseau, Paul Maurice, and Charles Vanel. Genre, mystery, thriller. See it, be amazed at it, but be quiet about it. Henri-Georges Clouseau's psychological thriller Les Diaboliques is one of the finest works of horror ever captured. He accomplishes this without monsters, without aliens, even without axe-wielding psychopaths. Clouseau uses mood, lighting, and brooding cinematography to capture the terror. Two women, equally spurned by a chauvinist school headmaster, conspire to kill the man that's making their lives hell. But after the murder goes down, the real nightmare begins. The next day, the body disappears, and neither conspirator knows what happened. Was he still alive? They did not kill him properly? Or, even more terrifying, is there something supernatural at work? Clouseau doesn't let up on the suspense until the very last frames of the film, ultimately climaxing and quite simply, the best twist endings of all time. What have you done to it? What have you done to its eyes? Rosemary's Baby, 1968, Roman Polanski. Cast, Mira Farrow. John Cassavetes, Ruth Gordon, Sidney Blackmer, Maurice Evans, Ralph Bellamy, and Angela Dorian. Genre, supernatural, psychological. Pray for Rosemary's Baby. Roman Polanski wrote the screenplay based on the novel by Ira Levin about a young couple by the names Guy and Rosemary Woodhouse who move into an old apartment building with a mysterious history. Shortly after moving into the apartment, their elderly next-door neighbors, the Castavets, quickly make friends with the Woodhouses, and Guy begins to spend an inordinate amount of time with the elder couple. After one of the residents suddenly and mysteriously dies, Rosemary begins to have wild dreams and hallucinations, followed by a pregnancy. While normally a time of great joy in a young couple's life, 
Rosemary becomes increasingly nervous and perhaps paranoid of the Castavets unhealthy obsession with their unborn child. Roman Polanski, director of classics such as Chinatown, Repulsion, and The Pianist, directs what is considered one of the greatest psychological horror movies of all time. The way the movie unfolds leaves you at the edge of your seat and in complete suspense. Mia Farrow carries the weight of the film as the titular Rosemary, and she's up to the challenge. At first, she is mousy and meek, but as events unfold, she slowly falls deeper into depression and potential madness. The real star of the show is Ruth Gordon as Minnie Castavets, a performance that earned her an Academy Award. What's wonderful about the performance is that Gordon plays the role completely straight. All she appears to be, objectively, is a nosy, overly concerned little old lady next door. But as it turns out, her motives are far more sinister. Rosemary is one of the all-time greats, and the final scene will disturb you for the rest of the day. Nosferatu, 1922, F.W. Murnau, starring Max Schreck, Gustav von Wagenheim, Greta Schroeder, Alexander Gornack, Ruth Lanschoff, and Wolfgang Heinz. Genre, vampires. A thrilling mystery masterpiece, chilling psychodrama of bloodlust. The original horror film, Henri Galin's story of Nosferatu, is loosely based, in other words, ripped off, from Bram Stoker's original Dracula. At the time of production, Bram Stoker's estate had not given permission to Murnau to shoot the film, so they worked around it by changing the names of it and a few events. But it's essentially the same story. A real estate agent visits the reclusive Count Orlock in Germany to tell him some land, but notices a series of unusual events surrounding his visit. Sound familiar? Even though this silent film is almost a century old, it doesn't fail to deliver chills in ways that modern horror wished they could. At the time the film was made, Bram Stoker's widow was threatening legal action against the filmmakers for using her late husband's story as the basis of this film, and so Max Schreck portrayed Count Orlock instead of Count Dracula. Regardless of the name change, the story is familiar and is perhaps the best adaptation of the classic Dracula story. Shrek is especially creepy as a title character, and the camera work was way ahead of its time. It's a beautiful horror film. To get a fictionalized backstory of the making of Nosferatu, watch the film Shadow of the Vampire from 2000, starring Willem Dafoe as Max Shrek. Excellent film. The Thing, 1982, John Carpenter. Starring Kurt Russell, Keith David, Wilford Brimley, T.K. Carter, and David Clennon. Genre, alien, monster, paranoia. The ultimate in alien terror. A John Carpenter classic. This remake of the 1950s classic The Thing from Another World keeps the action in a frozen landscape, but changes the monster to ramp up the gore and scares. The alien in this film can take the shape of anything it comes into contact with, leading to a who-can-you-trust atmosphere to the blood and guts. The film was ahead of its time as far as practical special effects. Remember, CGI did not exist in 1982, which makes this film even more impressive. The Thing features one of the great horror movie endings that keeps you guessing even after the credits roll. Not only was the film not nominated for Best Visual Effects at the Academy Awards, but it was actually nominated for a Razzie. Just goes to show how the public's perception of a film can change over time. This may be Carpenter's ultimate masterpiece. The film was followed up in 2011 with a prequel, also titled The Thing, which shows what happens to the other research camp before this film's crew discover the wolf's being chased by the helicopter. It's not as good. Let the Right One In, 2008, Tomas Alfredson. Its cast stars Kari Hedebrandt, Lena Leanderson, Per Ragnar, Ika Nord, and Peter Carlberg. Genre, 
vampires. Ellie is 12 years old. She's been 12 for over 200 years, and she just moved in next door. The story revolves around Oscar, who is essentially the little weird kid that was in everyone's fourth grade class. The kid is constantly beat up and bullied. Nobody likes him. He meets Ellie, who seems to like him back. The two form a cute little friendship, but in the meantime, she's getting her vampire on behind his back. And this movie pulls no punches. It is bloody as hell. Once Oscar figures out her secret, will he reject her, or will their friendship last? Now, I won't spoil it, but let's just say the climactic scene is satisfying for anyone in the audience who has ever been bullied. This movie was remade recently as Let Me In for American audiences. It was a fine interpretation, but nothing beats the original. Friday the 13th, 1980, Sean as Cunningham. Screenplay by Victor Miller. Cast, Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, Harry Crosby, Laurie Bartram, Janine Taylor, Kevin Bacon, Mark Nelson, and Robbie Morgan. Genre, slasher. They were warned, they are doomed, and on Friday the 13th, nothing will save them. Years after the tragic drowning of a child, Camp Crystal Lake reopens for business. Soon after, an unknown stalker begins killing camp counselors in grisly fashion. The best Friday the 13th film is also the one that doesn't feature Jason Voorhees as the killer. This series really latched onto the slasher craze that Halloween kicked off in 1978, releasing a new film every year for almost 10 years, and single-handedly making hockey masks frightening for years to come. The film also took the slasher movie as a morality tale concept the furthest, with Mrs. Voorhees, spoilers, killing teenagers with loose morals as revenge for letting her son drown. The film launched nine sequels and a reboot, Friday the 13th Part 2, Part 3, The Final Chapter, A New Beginning, Jason Lives, The New Blood, Jason Takes Manhattan, Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X, where he goes to space, obviously, and the 2009 reboot. He also took on his fellow New Line Cinema monster, Freddy Krueger, in Freddy vs. Jason. The series was rumored to be rebooted, but that is still yet to happen. Poltergeist, 1982. Toby Hooper. Cast, Joe Beth Williams, Craig T. Nelson, Beatrice Strait. Genre, haunting, supernatural. It knows what scares you. A family is tormented by a multitude of ghosts and supernatural scares. The Freelings are a typical suburban family, but they soon find out that strange things are happening in their house, from furniture being rearranged to things sliding across the floor with seemingly no outside force. They come find out that the house was built on a burial ground and the ghosts of the past are coming back for revenge. Soon, Carol, the youngest daughter, disappears to the other side, and the family must now call a paranormal investigator to bring their daughter home. One of the best ghost stories of all time, Poltergeist is anchored by tremendous performances from Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams, and especially a child actress, the late Heather O'Rourke, who plays Carol Ann. The image of Carol Ann with her hands on the television screen is one of the most iconic images in horror cinema. A small amount of behind-the-scenes notoriety this film has is that many people accuse Steven Spielberg of ghost-directing the film, going over Toby Hooper's head. Spielberg maintains that he, as writer-producer of the film, merely collaborated with Hooper and helped out when Hooper needed assistance. Toby Hooper vehemently denied. Whatever the case may actually be, the final result still works. It is entitled, Naturan de Manto, roughly translated, Book of the Dead. The Evil Dead, 1981, Sam Raimi. The ultimate experience in grueling terror. Before Sam Raimi directed the billion-dollar Spider-Man franchise, he came from these humble beginnings. 
The plot is not all that groundbreaking. Five friends head towards a secluded cabin in the woods for the weekend. Once there, they find an old book that was left behind. After heading to the basement, they also find and play a tape recording of demonic incantations that release the spirits of the cabin to raise hell upon the five unsuspecting college students. One by one, the spirits possess every one of them until only Ash is left standing. Can Ash survive the night and last until the sun comes up? Evil Dead is at times goofy and sometimes seems like there should be a drinking game to go along with it. And what a fun Halloween idea that would be. However, you can see flashes of Raimi's brilliance in this film. And the makeup and special effects are impressive considering the film costs about $2.53 to make. Regardless, Evil Dead is essential Halloween viewing. And it spawns sequels, a remake, and a TV show. Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, the 2013 remake, and Ash vs. the Evil Dead. How can you not love this movie? Tree molestation and all. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Night of the Living Dead, 1968, George A. Romero. They won't stay dead. The original zombie movie, and they don't get much better. One of my favorite movies ever. If you like zombie movies and you've never seen the original Night of the Living Dead, you should be ashamed of yourself. After a NASA satellite falls to Earth and emits strange radiation, the dead mysteriously start coming back to life with an unquenchable hunger for human flesh. A collection of strangers are holed up in an abandoned house and fight off the zombies for as long as they can. The plot is pretty conventional nowadays, but you have to realize that this film started it all. It's still pretty downright scary and effective filmmaking. And bonus trivia, the word zombie is never once said in the whole movie. Usually the living dead are referred to as those things. In addition to its own spin-offs like Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead and the 2004 Dawn of the Dead remake, you can trace back the roots of films like Shaun of the Dead, 28 Days Later, Zombieland, Planet Terror, World War Z, and the enormously successful TV show The Walking Dead, all the way back to the Night of the Living Dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. The Innocence 1961, Jack Clayton. A strange new experience in shock. Miss Kiddens has been hired as a governess to take care of a pair of orphan siblings, Flora and Miles. Kiddens has complete independence to take care of and raise the children as she sees fit. But soon after her arrival, strange occurrences begin. First, coming to believe the house may be haunted, her fears grow until she suspects the children themselves are possessed by the spirits of the former masters of the house. Giddens refuses to abandon the children and hopes to literally save their souls. The title of the film suggests that the innocents are the possibly possessed children. The children's actions could be dictated by supposed possession, or they could just be bad seeds. The ghosts in the house that committed evil in their past could be literal ghosts or metaphors for the corruption of man, or both. This is a film about evil and corruption, and in the end, no one is ever really innocent. This film is based on the Henry James novel, The Turn of the Screw. Trick or Treat, 2007, Michael Doherty. If you don't follow the rules tonight... You won't live to see tomorrow. A modern classic, Trick or Treat is perhaps the best Halloween film to not feature Michael Myers killing teenagers. The film is an anthology of spooky tales taking place on the same October 31st in the same small town. We see werewolves, killers, and ghost children out for revenge. All these tales are tied together by Sam, a mysterious young trick-or-treater with a burlap sack over his large misshapen head. What is his connection to these stories? The film is a lot of fun and has a cult following after being delayed a wide release for years and only showing up at small screenings around the country. It wears its horror influences proudly on its sleeve and will surely inspire future horror anthology tales in the future.
Here's Johnny! The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and Danny Lloyd. Stanley Kubrick's epic nightmare of horror. Jack Torrance is a struggling alcoholic writer that takes a job as a caretaker for the Overlook Hotel during the winter season. He feels that the isolation and solitude will help him get over his writer's block, while also making a little money, taking along his wife and his psychic son to keep him company. Soon the hotel is snowed in by a massive snowstorm, and Jack's frustrations and the hotel's haunted past slowly starts to drive Jack into a murderous, psychotic state. The Shining, by far, is one of the most legitimately terrifying films of all time, and its influence can still be seen to this day. The highlight of this film is clearly Jack Nicholson. Nicholson has often been criticized as sometimes going over the top and being a bit hammy. I can't disagree with that. However, one could not criticize him overacting this film, at least not until the climax. But by then, a bravura performance is earned and frankly needed. The whole film rests on his performance. Many thoughts are abound as to the ending of the film. Is the hotel haunted? Is Jack just psychotic? What about the photograph at the end of the film? Was Jack Torrance absorbed into the evil of the hotel? Or was he a reincarnation of the evil of the hotel? Questions like this is what make the film rewatchable and enjoyable on many different levels. The Shining, over 30 years later, remains a horror masterpiece, despite what Stephen King thinks about it. Shaun of the Dead, 2004, directed by Edgar Wright, starring Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, and Kate Ashfield. A romantic comedy with zombies. Sean is a lovable loser just trying to win back his girlfriend. He has a dead-end job and his girlfriend Liz just broke up with him. He decides he's going to win back Liz, repair his relationship with his mother, oh, and fight off a zombie outbreak. Therein lies the genius that is Sean of the Dead. The film was marketed as a rom-com zombie, and it's brilliant. Not because it's a film that blends three genres together, but because it's a film that blends three genres together so well. The romantic element of the story works well. You really want Sean and Liz to end up together. The comedy aspect works well. It's incredibly funny. The film packs in plenty of zombie fun as well, and laughs that play up to Peg and Frost's comedic talents, but also satirizes the zombie genre. It pays homage to and has fun with all the traditional zombie movie aspects. It's not all fun and games, however, as the stakes are plenty high and the characters are in real danger, and in the middle of all the gore and the laughs, you may find yourself legitimately touched by the human drama on screen. The brainchild of co-writer-actor Simon Pegg, actor Nick Frost, and co-writer-director Edgar Wright hit it big not only in their native UK, but also struck a chord with American audiences as well. Ghostbusters, 1984, directed by Ivan Reitman, starring Bill Murray, Harold Remus, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, and Ernie Hudson. I'm going to keep this one short because I'm pretty sure everyone has seen Ghostbusters. Seriously, if you've never seen Ghostbusters, you've got a problem. Another comedy horror entry, though the horror isn't too bad, it did manage to scare me quite a bit when I was a little guy. There's really not much to be said here. Everyone knows how great this movie is, and it's required Halloween viewing at my house. The Witch, 2016, Robert Eggers, starring Anya Taylor-Joy, Ralph Ineson, Kate Dickey, Harvey Scrimshaw, Ellie Granger, and Lucas Dawson. A New England Folktale. One of the most recent films on this list. A Puritan family in the 1600s New England is banished from their religious community due to a differing interpretation of their religion. Forced to find new land and live in isolation, the family eventually settles in a small area where they struggle to grow new crops. 
Meanwhile, the youngest in the family, a baby, is abducted without a trace, and the mother, Catherine, blames her oldest daughter, Thomason, on the baby's disappearance. It's revealed that a witch has taken the baby and used it for something unspeakable. What follows is the rest of the family devolving into complete dysfunction as jealousy, feelings of betrayal, and supernatural incidents tear the family apart. Catherine blames Thomason for everything as she slips into psychosis. Add to that, there is Black Philip, the family's goat, that is perhaps a sign of the bad things to come. The Witch is not a typical jump scare kind of horror film. It's an examination of faith and of family crisis and paranoia, all with dialogue written in Old English. The film's atmosphere creates a persistent sense of dread that will leave you shaken after viewing the film. Van Helsing. Now that you have learned what you have learned, it would be well for you to return to your own country. Dracula, 1931, Todd Browning. Starring Bela Lugosi, Helen Chandler, David Manners, Dwight Fry, Edward Van Sloan. Renfield is on his way to Transylvania to lease a property in London to a mysterious Count Dracula. After the Count reveals himself to be a vampire, he makes Renfield his slave, driving him to insanity. Dracula arrives in London, meeting Dr. Stewart and his daughter, of whom he quickly becomes enamored. After Mina's friend Lucy dies from a mysterious circumstance, Dr. Van Helsing is called in to investigate. Full-length horror films were not common in 1931, so this was a bit of an out-of-the-ordinary for both studios and audiences alike. Executives were nervous about the box office potential on a film with a heavy reliance on the supernatural. After its premiere, newspapers reported that some members of the audience fainted at the sight of the images on screen. Publicity Jackpot The studio wisely used this to sell the film in advertisements, and it became a huge financial success. Because of the success of Dracula, Universal plunged headfirst into the horror waters and produced a series of successful monster movies, Frankenstein, The Mummy, The Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein, and The Wolfman, as well as a series of sequels, Dracula's Daughter, Son of Dracula, House of Dracula, and Dracula made appearances in House of Frankenstein and Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. To this day, fans of horror everywhere celebrate the Universal monsters. Dracula's legacy, much like the vampire himself, will last forever. The film is a classic of the pre-code Hollywood era and an icon of its genre. A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984, directed by Wes Craven, starring Robert Englund, Heather Langenkamp, and Johnny Depp. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. The movie that introduced the world to one of the most iconic screen villains of all time with knives for fingers, Freddy Krueger. Teenagers on Elm Street are being murdered under mysterious and violent circumstances, and they're always asleep when it happens. What dark secrets does this average American street hold? Turns out that after a group of parents found out about a child killer living amongst them, they burn him alive and kill him. But Fred Krueger returns as a supernatural invader of dreams to seek revenge on their children. If you die in the nightmare, you die in real life. The first and best of the franchise, A Nightmare on Elm Street rose above the dead teenager slasher films of the 1980s and dared to do something different. Yeah, there were still dead teenagers, but the new imagery and the special effects that Craven brought to the big screen at the time were unparalleled. The story still feels fresh and innovative. Robert Englund's performance is legendary as he slices and dices teenagers in new and imaginative ways. His Freddy Krueger is one of the greatest on-screen villains of all time. He even ranked in the American Film Institute's 50 Greatest Movie Villains. Also look out for an early performance by the one and only Johnny Depp. Just, uh, don't get too attached. So much blood. Much like many of the films on the list, the films marked the beginning of a franchise, with mixed results in quality. The film was followed by Nightmare 2, Freddy's Revenge, 
three, Dream Warriors, four, the Dream Master, five, the Dream Child, Freddy's Dead, the Final Nightmare, and Wes Craven's New Nightmare, plus a reboot remake in 2010 and the crossover film Freddy vs. Jason. Misery, 1990, Rob Reiner, starring James Caan, Kathy Bates, Francis Sternhagen, Richard Farnsworth, and Lauren Bacall. Paul Sheldon used to write for a living. Now he's writing to stay alive. Paul Sheldon, famous romance novelist, drives to a Colorado hideaway for some peace and quiet to concentrate every time he writes a book. After finishing his latest novel, he gets stuck in a snowstorm and his car careens off the road. He'd surely be dead if not for the intervention of Annie Wilkes, a nurse who lives in the mountains. Soon after waking up from his near-fatal car accident, Sheldon starts to wish he was dead. You see, Annie just happens to be Paul's biggest fan, a psychotically obsessive fan of his line of misery novels, and she will do anything, anything, to keep him in her house while he heals. But soon, that's not enough. Having read the last entry into the Misery series where Paul had killed off the main character, Annie suffers a psychotic break and forces Paul to write a new ending. Paul's legs are broken, and there are no phones in the house, so he can't call for help. When Annie learns of an unsuccessful escape attempt, she decides to make sure Paul never, ever leaves her in the film's most memorable and painful scenes. Kathy Bates delivers one of the scariest villains on screen, which earned her an Academy Award. The Cabin in the Woods, 2012, Drew Goddard. Starring Kristen Connolly, Chris Hemsworth, Anna Hutchison, Fran Kranz, Jesse Williams, Richard Jenkins, and Bradley Whitford. A group of teenagers go vacationing in a remote cabin in the woods, but soon a series of sinister events begin to occur. Sound like a familiar premise? Think again. This adoring love letter to horror movies is the ultimate monster movie, with almost every creature imaginable making some sort of cameo. The Cabin in the Woods, much like Scream did so successfully in the 1990s, takes horror movie tropes and deconstructs them, all the while winking at the camera. Why do you go in the scary basement? Why do you spill it up when you should try to stay together? Why do you drop the weapon? Why does the virgin always survive until the end? Turns out it's all being manipulated by a higher power. I won't go too much into spoilers here, but when the supposed to be dead teenagers fight back, a literal army of nightmare creatures is unleashed. Every horror creature, killer, or monster that you've ever been afraid of is loose with disgustingly bloody results. One of the most incredibly satisfying horror movies on the list, especially if you're a longtime fan of the genre. Coraline, 2009, directed by Henry Selick, starring Dakota Fanning and Terry Hatcher. A children's movie. However, much like The Nightmare Before Christmas, the stop-motion animated film was an incredibly dark film that may not be suitable for all ages. Coraline is a bored little girl that moves into an old house. Her parents don't seem to pay much attention to her, and the little boy next door is a nuisance. She desperately wants to escape and gets her chance when she discovers a door in the house that is a portal to another world. The other world is exactly like the one her house is in, except everyone pays attention to her, everyone loves her, and everyone wants to make her happy. Except for some reason, everyone has buttons at the place of eyes. Soon Coraline finds out what the price she has to pay is to stay in the fun other world and she realizes getting back home wasn't as easy as leaving it. The Exorcist, 1973, directed by William Friedkin, starring Ellen Burstyn, Max von Sydow, Lee J. Cobb, Jason Miller, Linda Blair, and Mercedes McCambridge. Something beyond comprehension is happening to a girl on this street. In this house, a man has been sent for as a last resort. That man is The Exorcist. To this day, this film still terrifies me. Almost 50 years after this movie was released, and not one film has even come close to scaring audiences like this film still does. 
The Exorcist is about a young girl named Reagan who happens to get possessed by the devil, or at least it claims to be the devil. Regardless, it's a demon, and this demon turns sweet little Reagan into a foul-mouthed, head-spinning, bed-levitating, green-liquid-vomiting nightmare. Two priests are called upon to exorcise the demon, Father Karras, who doubts his faith because of his recently deceased mother, and Father Marin, a frail and elderly priest who has battled the demon before. Both of these men of God have to fight the ultimate evil and save a girl's life. This film is the standard bearer for exorcism or possession films, as it was the first film to popularize the subgenre. The film became notorious upon its initial release for making some audience members faint and even vomit during screenings. The film was a monster hit, breaking records at the box office. It was rewarded with two Oscars for Best Writing and Sound, and was nominated for eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Miller, Best Actress for Burston, Best Supporting Actress for Blair, and Best Director. There were several sequels, but only The Exorcist 3 is worth mentioning, as the other films were not up to par creatively. This creature of God! The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974, directed by Toby Hooper. Starring Marilyn Burns, Paul A. Portain, Edwin Neal, Jim Seedow, Gunnar Hansen, Terry McKinn, and John Larroquette. All massacre facts based on a true story. Chainsaws, cannibals, Texas. Yep, that all adds up to something pretty downright horrific. Just the name tells you exactly what you're going to get before the opening credits begin. This movie was way ahead of its time. Despite featuring little gore, it fooled audiences into thinking it was a splatter fest. It spends a good deal of time building the atmosphere of the film. Right from the beginning, you know things are not going to turn out well. And not just because you know it's a horror movie, but because unlike most slasher films, the audience can actually feel fear for those soon-to-be victims. At first, it's spooky enough when we hear about the corpse sculptures found in a cemetery. Then we have the hulking Leatherface and his chainsaw. When Leatherface first makes his shocking appearance in the film, it's terrifying. But it gets taken to 11 during the dinner sequence, Sally tied down and forced to be the guest of honor at a cannibalistic dinner party. The scene is incredibly unsettling to watch and probably one of the most memorable in horror cinema. Oh, and let's not forget Grandpa. You know what? I'll let you find out about Grandpa by yourself. Toby Hooper was extremely reckless in the filming of the film, perhaps the benefit of the final artistic product. Many cast members were injured during the shooting, and some did not part the film on good terms with Hooper. An example is during the cannibal dinner scene, Marilyn Burns' real blood was used when actor Gunnar Hansen sliced her finger with a razor blade. When William Bale's character gets decapitated, the actual live running chainsaw was swung within inches of his neck. Try to get this one out of your head. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a horror masterpiece. The film created a franchise with three sequels followed by a reboot in 2003, which had two additional sequels. <laughs> The Nightmare Before Christmas, 1993, directed by Henry Selleck, starring Danny Elfman, Chris Sarandon, and Catherine O'Hara. One of my favorite Christmas movies, also one of my favorite Halloween movies. While marketed as a Disney kids movie, the film is actually quite dark. The whole story revolves around Jack Skellington, a resident of Halloween Town, who gets so bored with the darkness and dreariness of his little world. One day he stumbles upon Christmas Town and gets a great idea. This year he'll kidnap Santa and take over Christmas. This Halloween Christmas mashup is an essential viewing every year, for both holidays. And if you ever want any Nightmare Before Christmas merchandise, Hot Topic probably has you covered. And finally, number 31, of course it has to be, John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978. Starring Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis, PJ Souls, and Nancy Loomis. The Night He Came Home. The Godfather of Slasher Films. 
When he was six years old, Michael Myers brutally killed his older sister on Halloween. Fifteen years later, he escapes the mental institution of which he was a resident for the majority of his life on the day he is supposed to be transferred to a maximum security prison. On the anniversary of the murder of his sister, Myers, wearing a creepy white mask, which was a Captain Kirk mask painted white, William Shatner has never been so scary, stalks a group of teenagers in the neighborhood he grew up in, killing them off one by one. Halloween has a pretty typical slasher film formula, but what sets it apart is that it was one of the first slash films to become a commercial success, and it uses the formula quite successfully. And it created a lot of the tropes that are still in use today in modern horror. Horror movie as a morality play, The Final Girl, The Unstoppable Killer, it popularized all of it. While there were certainly films like Psycho, Black Christmas, and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre before Halloween, Carpenter's film created the trend that seemingly never stopped. Without Halloween, we don't get Friday the 13th, a Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, Sleepaway Camp, Prom Night, Saw, or countless others. The movie started its own franchise, and following the initial film, audiences got Halloween 2 in 1981, 3, Season of the Witch in 1982, 4, The Return of Michael Myers in 88, 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers in 89, 6, The Curse of Michael Myers in 1995, H20 20 years later in 98, Resurrection in 2002, 2 reboots, Halloween 2007, and Halloween 2 2009, both directed by Rob Zombie, and another reboot in 2018, this is the all-time greatest, most essential horror film, according to a lot of horror enthusiasts, and it is deserving of the top spot in the 31 days of essential Halloween films. Before I go, I just wanted to say, for those who don't know, I have both a podcast and a YouTube channel. For those of you watching me on YouTube right now, please check out my podcast, The Essential Films, found on most podcast platforms those listening to me on the podcast right now, check out my YouTube page, youtube.com slash C slash Adolfo J. Acosta. Visit EssentialFilmsPodcast.com for movie reviews, countdown lists, and podcast updates. If you enjoyed this video and want to see more content like it, please like and subscribe. Email EssentialFilmsPodcast at gmail.com or like The Essential Films on Facebook at facebook.com slash EssentialFilms. A little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes.